Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. With the United States focusing on Russia and China, regions like the Eastern Mediterranean appear to be on the back burner in Washington, D.C. This is raising questions about Washington's overall strategy for the region, which has grown increasingly important over the last years. Kostadinos Filis, the director of the Institute of Global Affairs and associate professor at the American College of Greece, joins me to break down why the Eastern Mediterranean deserves Washington's full attention. Look at how Turkey, the elephant in the room, factors into this discussion, and explain why this is an opportunity for Greece, a key U.S. ally and partner, to work with the United States to set the agenda for the region. Kostadina, great to have you back on The Greek Current. Glad to be back, Hanos. As you saw in your recent trip, Kostadina, to Washington, D.C., the primary focus of the United States right now is on Russia and China. What has this meant for other regions, like the Eastern Mediterranean, which have grown increasingly important following the war in Ukraine? If it hadn't been for 9-11, the U.S. strategic priority would have been China since the beginning of the 21st century. I remind you of Barack Obama's Asia pivot in 2008, following the interventions in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I recall the urgence of U.S. officials for years now to European countries to avoid procuring Chinese technologies, telecommunications at the time. What I found, Thanos, is that in Washington there is something approach in a psychosis regarding Beijing, whether justified or not, with the result that other regions are nothing more than supplementary issues in the big picture. In spite of the Ukraine wars being another major issue for the Americans, with the main aim of a punitive defeat for Russia, I repeat that the focus is on China, and consider that everything I'm describing took place before the preliminary agreement between Iran and Saudi Arabia with China acting as a mediator, a development that would have been virtually unthinkable a short time ago, not just because of the differences between the two Muslim countries and the proxy wars still being fought even today, like the one in Yemen, but also because China, until a short time ago, had not developed a culture of mediation in interstate disputes. And it appears that China wants to take the reign in this area. The fact that Saudi Arabia is a strategic and traditional U.S. partner in spite of the disappointments in their relations in recent years, makes this move on the part of Beijing even more emphatic. And in spite of being accused of planning to arm Russia, as you know, Beijing is considered by some, including Zelensky, a potential broker in the Ukraine crisis as well. So all of this points to a trend, and it appears that American concerns about China are probably justified. However, in an interconnected and interdependent world, the planet's geographical regions are linked and are essentially smaller pieces of a larger puzzle that can't be completed unless all of the pieces are put in place. And what's more, strategically speaking, the Eastern Mediterranean as a crossroads between three continents and the natural extension of the Indian Ocean connecting Central and Southeastern Europe with major North African states like Libya and Egypt, and by extension the Middle East, and which borders on the Black Sea where the Ukraine war is being fought, a region like the Eastern Mediterranean can't be put on the back burner. Given all the developments in the Eastern Mediterranean over the last years, from key trilaterals to the East Med Gas Forum, do you think Washington is missing a unique opportunity here to really strengthen Western values and interests? Let me be clear. The U.S. doesn't have a clear and long-term strategy for the Eastern Mediterranean. In the recent past, it had resorted to intelligence and use from its partners in the region, lacking access 
to critical places like Libya, for instance. Obviously, it's a good thing to consult with your partners, but at the same time, if you are virtually ignorant of what's going on in the region, you are not in a position to correctly assess the intentions of partners and opponents, so you can lay out a comprehensive strategy. And the U.S. invested in the Arab uprisings, which doubtless brought change to the wider region and not just the Arab world. But the results of these uprisings are problematic at the very least. And about at the same time, the rifts in Turkish-Israeli relations and with the overthrow of the Muslim Brotherhood in Turkish-Egyptian relations as well, they were a hard hit for U.S. planning, which based a lot on the triangular relations between Turkey, Israel and Egypt. And the various trilateral and quadrilateral themes that followed with American tolerance and later support, as well as the East Medgas Forum, are a correct initiative in the direction of not only normalizing relations and stabilizing the situation, but also creating conditions for prosperity in the region. However, Washington failed to reign in Turkey and its hegemonic aspirations, which brought direct or indirect conflict with other states of the region. And this is one of the most serious challenges which we will all have to grapple with sooner or later. Kosadina, Turkey, often described as the elephant in the room, is heading to elections on May 14th. How is this factoring into Washington's, and specifically Foggy Bottom's, calculations for the region? Let's, <laughs> let's clarify for, for some members of our audience, at least, that Foggy Bottom is used to refer to the State Department And we often joke that this is a good name for the department because the information it gives is foggy. The Americans obviously won't show their preference if we assume that they see Erdogan as the phenomenon and not the symptom of the phenomenon that has changed the face of Turkey. So Washington won't come out in support of an opposition candidate knowing that this would be playing into Erdogan's hands. He would take advantage of it politically. The opposition forces once again want to approach the U.S., presenting the fight against Erdogan as democracy's battle against authoritarianism. But the credentials they present will have to be very real, not just new wrapping on an old box with the same old contents. And in the final analysis, if the opposition wins the elections, it will have to show in practice that it wants to return Turkey to normalcy, not just domestically, but also in terms of foreign policy. But how will it be able to promote constitutional changes which requires consensus among at least the six parties of the opposition which are fragmented before the elections and maybe even more so following them. So while the opposition will want the greatest possible unity domestically, satisfying among others the nationalist Axenair, it's extremely doubtful whether it will make moves that could lead not just to reduced tensions with Greece, but also to creating the conditions for the launching of a substantial dialogue that could lead to a solution. And because the U.S. has to understand that under the current conditions, a dialogue cannot be launched between Greece and Turkey. And I'm not referring to the aggressive and threatening rhetoric with phrases like we'll come one night without warning to the Greek islands or we launch missiles at Athens. I'm referring to the demilitarization that is linked to sovereignty, which in turn is linked to maritime zones, including territorial waters, to the illegal Turkish-Libyan agreement, the casus belli, and of course, Blue Homeland. So as long as these things remain at the core of the Turkish agenda, it has to be clear that no serious dialogue can take place. One thing we've seen, Kosadina, is the State Department hinting to countries in the region to find ways to include Turkey in regional initiatives, and the East Med Gas Forum comes to mind here. 
Is Washington being short-sighted in this case? Thanos, Turkey is too large and powerful to be left out of regional developments. And Greece, at least, doesn't intend for this to happen. However, contrary to what Turkish officials and some of my colleagues are saying, it was Ankara that chose to take itself out of the developments in the Eastern Mediterranean when it broke off relations with Israel and Egypt and undermined regional stability by disrupting through violations the sovereign rights of the Republic of Cyprus and by signing an agreement with the government in Tripoli which undermined the sovereign rights, violated actually the sovereign rights, in other words, the exclusive economic zone and continental self, and even sovereignty in some areas in terms of territorial waters of Greece. So responsibility for the current situation has to be assigned proportionally. Beyond that, provided Turkey accepts the rules and framework of conduct, not just in the framework of good neighborly relations that has been agreed to by other powers in the region, it is certainly welcome and must be welcome to participate in regional developments, including in the energy sector. However, this can't happen in a transactional manner, because if we don't have principles governing regional partnerships, those partnerships are doomed to fail. So the U.S. contribution needs to be in precisely this direction, rather than encouraging unconditional participation, just so Ankara isn't left out. Kostadina, you talked about you know setting up a set of principles for the region. Is this an opportunity for U.S. allies and partners, specifically Greece here, to set the agenda together with Washington for the Eastern Mediterranean? Absolutely. And if the Turkish relations are to move towards settlement uh, at long last, instead of disruptions and tensions, we need to create a framework for dialogue based on international law without active threats like Casus Belli and without revisionist doctrines like Blue Homeland and with a time frame for resolution and an agreement that if we still disagree, we'll take the issue of determining maritime zones to the Hague. But all of this, Thanos, seems to be wishful thinking right now. And the U.S. contribution in this case, too, does not lie in merely supplying Greece with weapons systems and fighter jets, which are certainly welcome to the degree that they give us a comparative advantage of being a step ahead of a revisionist power with hegemonic aspirations that depend heavily on military might, but also in creating the right conditions for a positive outcome in talks. But what I saw in Washington is that right now there is no such intention or desire, and they think Germany can take on this role and play it successfully. So going back to your question, if Greece is to avoid unpleasant developments, we need to formulate and submit our own detailed plan for our wider neighborhood, based on which we can then consult with our partners in and outside the region, And this way, we can help shape the agenda to address our concerns, presenting it to a befogged superpower, the U.S., that is seeking answers rather than offering solutions. Kostadine, always great speaking with you. Thanks again for joining. Thank you. In other news, Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis has told train company representatives that the restructuring of the country's railways is not just a universal demand of Greek society, but is now also a personal matter for him. He made the remarks at the opening of a meeting with representatives of state-owned network owner Hellenic Railways and railway infrastructure company Ergose, as well as the private Italian-owned operator Hellenic Train, on restarting the railways, which have not run since the Tembi railway disaster that claimed the lives of 57 people. The country's railways will gradually return to service on March 22nd, the minister with responsibility for transport announced on Tuesday. 
Finally, Turkey has posted a record-high current account deficit, underscoring the challenge facing President Erdogan as questions about his stewardship of the economy grow. Erdogan has vowed to tame Turkey's chronic current account deficit by lifting exports with a weaker currency. But higher global energy costs worsened the deficit, which jumped 43% year-on-year to $9.85 billion in January, the highest monthly level since the data was first collected in 1984. With exports failing to keep up with imports, the widening trade deficit is also hitting Turkey's balance of payments. Analysts told the Financial Times that should Turkey's inflows prove insufficient to finance the deficit, the lira would come under renewed pressure. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.